Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. We are a people of closed hands with a God of open hands. We are a people of closed hands with a God of open hands. That's our take-home point for this morning, and if you're new with us, uh, or if you've never heard anyone say this, which would be weird if you're not new with us, uh, our take-home point is the one point that we want you to take home with you to remember. It's the one point uh, our our message this morning hinges upon, um, the one point we want you to take and I want to take with me and live out in the coming week. You don't understand it right now because I haven't said anything else about it, but we are a people of closed hands, and we serve a God of open hands. It'll make more sense by the end. My name is Mark Lutz. I'm one of the two directors of student ministries here at New Life. Our other director of student ministries was up here looking super hip uh, with his V-neck playing the bass earlier. His name's Alex DeRosa. I call him A-Rod. My focus here at New Life is I focus in on middle schoolers on purpose. Um, Usually the case would have been when we hired Alex, we would have forced him to work with middle schoolers, and I got to work with high schoolers. But I I actually love middle schoolers. I work with sixth, seventh, and eighth graders uh, purposefully. And on top of that, I work with our adult leadership team at Relevant. Uh, Alex works with our senior high group, our ninth through twelfth graders, and he works specifically with our youth worship program, which has been a really awesome thing uh, since he's come on board uh, a couple Februarys ago. Um, but hey, I'm really excited to be with you guys here this morning. I was really fired up uh, at earlier service today. I had a terrible migraine last night that was very, very distracting to Saturday night service, but I'm just really pumped to be with you here today. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to welcome you. I want to thank you for being here with us. Uh, we prepared for you. We've prayed for you. We're excited to have you here with us. We're not going to do anything weird to you because you're here for the first time, but we're just excited that you've decided to come out and join us. And I really hope that you've enjoyed your experience thus far, and I really hope that you continue to. Hopefully, I, I don't, don't ruin that experience for you. Um, but I, I am. I'm excited to be here. Uh, at New Life right now, we're in this in-between series stage. Uh, Pastor Brad actually Actually tweeted at me in between uh, in between sermons that I'm was the gap pastor um, or the gap preacher, um, but we're in the gap right now. So two weeks ago we finished up a series called Amazing Grace, and in two weeks we pick up our summer series on the book of Colossians, and we'll be looking uh, at Colossians throughout the entire summer, and I'm, I'm, that is going to be a really awesome time. Um, but we have had three weeks here, which is odd for New Life. We kind of have these gap messages. The beautiful thing about being a gap preacher is that uh, you're not really given any direction, and to some people that would more Mortify them, given a task in no direction. But to me, I love being given a task in no direction because I can see the end and I get to make up how I get there, which is great for me because that's the type of personality that I am. And so I'm excited because I get to preach this morning about what's really on my heart. And I've been able to prepare a message about what's really on my heart. And recently, we did a, a couple weeks ago, we did this. Uh, a retreat, which was really awesome for our entire youth ministry up at Seneca Hills Bible Camp called Regen Focus. And then just a couple of weeks ago, our, our New Life 20-somethings group that meets out at, uh, at Glenn and Barb Schwarm's house every other Thursday, for your information, uh, began doing a, a new series on this subject as well. And the subject is idolatry. And at first glance, you may think, oh, this is going to be an awkward subject of talking about cheating on your husband or wife. But that's not what the subject is about at all. That's adultery. We're talking about idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of idols. And really, when you hear that, it's the worship of idols, you begin to think, man, this message is just going to 
not make any sense or, or it's not really going to have any impact on my life personally. Because I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't make idols on a frequent basis. I don't bow down before wooden objects on a frequent basis. Usually at the church in America, really what we're limited to are thinking, when you hear about idol worship, uh, you think about either people who just live in a jungle and have never seen anybody else in their entire lives but their tribe, or uh, you, you might think of maybe like someone bows down to, to worship Buddha. And, and realistically, as American Christians, generally speaking, that's about the limit of our knowledge, or at least that was generally the limit of my knowledge. Uh, maybe not yours. Maybe it's just mine. Um, but, but that's kind of the limit. We, we see idol worship as kind of this superstitious belief system that might be for countries that are underdeveloped. It might be for third world. It's not really for us. In American culture, we've moved on and we're beyond that, that type of belief system. It, in some ways, we get this feeling it's kind of below us, right? That as, as, as American Christians, idol worship is just something that we really don't struggle with. It's one of those things that is, as Christians in America, we don't deal with idol worship. There might be other things that we deal with and, and sin habits in our lives, and those things pollute our culture, but idol worship certainly isn't one of them. Yet throughout the word of God, repeatedly, we see this concept of idolatry coming up and being in our faces over and over again, especially as you work your way through the Old Testament. Over and over again, you run into these encounters with idolatry. And one of the first and most clear places that you run into that is in the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, it says this, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations for those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and on those who obey my commands. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. And God, I pray more than anything else that your word would be impressed upon our hearts and upon our minds. God, that it wouldn't be my words or the words of this message. God, may they just be fillers. And may your word be the highlight this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning as we look at this and you get this, this image from this book of Exodus of idol worship. And, and it really still seems like this message is going to be pointless, right? The sermon is going to be because once again, you're encountering idol worship, but... I don't know about you, but I have never, and I doubt this is going to happen to you today, that you're going to go out after church and you're going to go get a log and you're going to whittle an image of the sea. You're not going to go out and whittle a shark and then put it up inside of your house and bow down and worship it because that's strange. That's like you've, never been, you've never come over to somebody's house and when you came through the door, they said, oh, I just whittled this image of the land. It's a, it's a grizzly bear and uh, it's now my idol. So before you come in and eat with me, you need to bow down and worship. It just doesn't happen. If you've had that encounter, I would love to talk to you about that because I have never encountered any, I'm, I'm only 27, so I know I have limited experience. However, I've never, I've never even talked to anyone who's had that experience before in our culture where you actively go out and make idols of the land and the sea or the sky. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We don't see that too often. And so when you read that, it's like, well, this is strange, right? This doesn't seem like something that I really am going to encounter in my day-to-day -day life. I'm not in the habit of making wooden objects and bowing down and worshiping them. We believe at the whole heart of who we are that we are not a people of closed hands, we believe that we're not a people who deal with idol worship. 
But what I would like to bring to you today is I think, and I really believe this, that out of the Ten Commandments, and that passage came from the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, out of the Ten Commandments, there's no commandment that is American Christians specifically that we break more often. I think we break this, this commandment of do not worship idols, do not make images, more than we break any other inside of our culture. And oftentimes, most often, we don't even know that we're doing it. Allow me to just bring this to life with a, with a story from my life. I'm a storyteller, so I'm going to tell you a story. So when I was growing up, girls did not like me. Um, girls did not like me one bit. If you're in my youth group, I talk about that a lot because it was a major portion of my childhood. As a teenager growing up, every boy wants girls to like them, and that just wasn't the case for my life. Girls did not like me. I was super strange, and I did even stranger things than I was strange. Like, I, I just compounded the strangeness inside my life because I was a weird kid, and on top of that, I did weird things. I was not an athlete. I was not, like, athletic. And that... I don't know, I know that culture inside of high schools has changed today, but when I was in high school, still the coolest kids were the kids who were athletes, and I was not an athlete I, at all, actually. In fact, in gym class, even in high school, when we would play football, um, which was just, just a, a, really a group of football players destroying all the people who weren't football players, I, just, I would just run around. I would look for a person who was on defense when I was on offense, and I would follow them. And, <laughs> I would just follow them, and terrified, I was terrified that someone would throw the ball near me. I never wanted, I never wanted the ball to come near me, because inevitably it always just hit me in the chest, or the face, or just bounced off my arms, or I got nervous and just smacked it out of the air when I was supposed to be catching it, because I forgot what side I was on. So I always, I just stuck around, I just chased the defensive player to the best of my ability, because I was just so terrified that the ball would get past me. That was the type of person that I was. Girls were not super into me. My buddy Joe, he was great at talking to girls. He had an older sister. I just had a younger brother, and he, like, he would be able to talk to girls, and he was one of my best friends, but I would just look like this loser. I think that's why he kept me around for so long, to be honest with you, because when you have this person who doesn't know how to talk to girls, no matter how good you are at talking to girls, you look awesome when you're around him. You look great. Joe had to look amazing. He could have said anything at all, and it would have been good because my version of talking to girls was like, hey, girls. And then I just left. I would just run away because I was so nervous because they made my heart beat real hard. I didn't want to talk to them. So that was kind of my, me growing up. My first girlfriend was in 10th grade. Okay, so my first girlfriend was in 10th grade. I dated her, uh, and we, we went out for a month, and on our one-month anniversary, I told her that I thought that I loved her. And so she proceeded to drive home and call me on the phone and break up with me that night. Um, <laughs> Because I was not, it was, I did the wrong thing, evidently, you know, professing my undying love for this female. And so, uh, imagine my surprise when I went to church camp one year, and uh, three girls, three of them all liked me in one week of camp. How awesome is that? As a 16-year-old guy, there was nothing more memorable about church camp than that. All the sermons that I heard, all the worship that I experienced, all the trips to Kennywood I went on, all the things I did with church camp, that was the most... That was the year that I remember the most. It was the most memorable because three girls, up to that point, I was not aware if three girls had ever liked me before in my life. And there was three in one week? Are you kidding me? That's an awesome week for a 16-year-old guy. So this first girl liked me and she gave me her phone number and then she left on a missions trip to Mexico. 
And then the second girl liked me, and I held her. The same time, this girl left after lunch, and that night at worship, I held the, the, another girl's hand. I was, I was playing the field, you know. So I held this girl's hand. And then uh, the last night of camp, the girl who I had held her hand, I don't know where she was, but this other girl who I met uh, went to Mars Alliance Church. I won't tell you her name because her family is local. Um, I, 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 we, me and my buddies hung out with her and a group of her friends on the basketball court all night long. We didn't go to sleep. Evidently, supervision was not important in church camp whenever I was a kid. It's more important now, luckily for you all, if you have kids. But when I was a kid, supervision was off the charts. It didn't even matter, evidently. Uh, so I hung out with this girl. She was awesome. So I go home, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm on cloud nine. It's the best week of camp ever, Mom. You have no clue how much Jesus did and how many girls liked me. And, and so I, call, I forgot to get the last girl's number. I liked her, but I forgot to get the last girl's number. So I called girl number two, and like about three phone conversations in, I realized she was crazy. Just crazy. And for a 16-year-old boy to identify a girl that likes him is crazy, and then not to be attracted to her, that's huge. That's huge. Just because that's just generally 16-year-old boys, that's all they, that's what they want. That's what they're looking for is a little bit of crazy. But I was not interested. So I was like, ah, there's a lot of baggage here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. So I waited till this other girl got back from her missions trip to Mexico, and I gave her a ring. And I was like, hey, you want to go out on a date? She's like, yeah, I want to go out on a date. I was like, that's awesome. So we went out on a date. And after our first date, we dated for three years, okay? So I'm, a, I'm like a heavy commitment type of individual, and not, no fear of commitment in my life. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to date you. We dated for three years. So my junior year, senior year, and freshman year of college, uh, I dated this girl. And, man, I went, like, on the first date, head over heels for this, for this girl. I was just like, oh, I was just so, I won't tell her, her name either because randomly she moved to Saxonburg, uh, like, last year and moved, like, four doors down from me and my wife. Super weird. Super weird encounter. I was dropped through the parking lot. I was like, wait. <laughs> like, that's weird. Um, but anyway, so this girl, I just, I was, so, I was so in love with this girl, or I thought, I thought that I was anyway, right? And so I wanted to remember everything that we did together. I thought, oh. You know what would be great is if I had something to remember every date that we were on. And that, that's cute initially because the first thing we went on was a movie. So I had the movie ticket and then I had, a, I had a photograph and then I had a receipt and then I had a Kennywood ticket and my mom gave me an old photo album and I started putting them inside the photo album and it was super sweet. But not all dates have receipts or tickets. And so I started collecting other things from other dates. So soon I had a creepy teddy bear and I don't, I don't have any memory of what that came from, but I guess she probably got me a teddy bear, which is weird, but I had a bear, uh, and then I had a, a candle that was like half burnt from a romantic dinner that I had thrown for the two of us, which probably tastes like garbage, but she was very gracious and nice, so she liked it. Uh, and then, you know, so I had all these little things. I had, bur I had a, 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 a one-month anniversary card, and a two-month anniversary card, and a three-month anniversary card, and a four-month, and a, and a five-month, the whole way up to one year. We celebrated anniversaries every month for the whole first year. If you're a teenager, do not do that. That is awful. Don't do it. You waste all of your money, and it's just a terrible idea. Do not celebrate an anniversary every one month. That You can swing that, but after that, just quit. Um, so I had all of this stuff, and unfortunately, things like candles and teddy bears do not fit inside of photo albums. So I didn't know what to do. So I started putting them on the top of my dresser. So I got got the bear, and oh, and I had communion cups, because we're Christians, a spiritual couple, right? So I had our first communion together, and I, I, I saved those stupid little plastic cups, and I, I had them right there on top of my dresser. And so I put it all up on top of my dresser, and pretty soon it was getting a little bit out of hand, and my buddy came over, and he's like, hey, Mark, uh, you built a shrine. 
there's a shrine in your bedroom on top of your dresser. I was like, no, there's not. I came in. He's like, yeah, dude, that's a shrine. You build a shrine. You have a girlfriend shrine. Girlfriend shrine. You have a girlfriend shrine. I was like, no, no, that's not a girlfriend shrine. That's just some stuff. That's, that's sweet. That's all that is. That's sweet. And I denied it. But the truth every morning when I would wake up to get dressed was staring teddy bear eyes in my face. Because it was all right there on top of my dresser. I had built a shrine to this girl. And I didn't wake up every morning and bow down and worship it. But I was a Christian at this time. I mean, in 10th grade, I was called into youth ministry. I knew that's where I was going. I had started preaching actively. I thought this was God's blessing on my life for, for deciding to go into ministry. This is part of it, right? And you giving me this awesome girl. But I had built this shrine to her in my bedroom. And being a Christian, I knew what needed to be number one in my life. And if you had asked me, I would have been able to verbalize to you, the most important thing in my life is Jesus. And if you had put a gun to my head, that probably would have been true. But very few Christians lose the battle with a gun to their head. Most Christians lose the battle because they've taken so many steps back that they never show up to the war. Many of them never even show up to the battle. And I had taken so many steps back in my life, man, I wasn't even showing up to the battle anymore. That was just kind of the, the way I was living life. And so although I knew that Jesus needed to be number one in my life, as I, was, as I was living my life, I had carved out an idol in my heart. I had carved out something that was the new seat of my affection. I had carved out a place in my life that was for Jesus and God at one time, but now had been replaced by something else, and it shined very clearly on top of my dresser each in every morning. Our culture does not package idols in the way that we wish them to be packaged. It doesn't package idols in a way that's easy to identify. Our, our culture packages idols in shiny wrapping. They polish them. They look beautiful. They come to us in ways that are very subtle. Our idols come to us in ways that look like we're doing good, even as Christians. Our idols oftentimes start off as very good things that are parts of our lives until they turn. Our culture is very good at painting pictures of what you need, of advertising with clever slogans and great jingles. Our culture is very good at packaging and delivering idols onto our doorsteps and into our lives. And that was the life at that time that I was leading. When you look at the word of God, you see this concept of idolatry not just come up in the book of Exodus, but all throughout. If you don't believe me, I encourage you to go home and read the book of Judges. When you look through and page through the, the pages of gore and killing people with a donkey's jawbone and eating a lion and killing a lion and eating honeybees from a lion's carcass and all of the things that you're gonna find in the book of Judges, you get this continual impression from the book of Judges that idolatry is the thing that plagues us as followers of Jesus. That idolatry is the thing that continually shows up in our lives. Because you see this nation of Israel who desires to follow and worship God, fall away from God, and they begin to worship the idols of their day. They become oppressed, and an enemy nation comes in and makes them oppressed and slaughters their families, and so they pray, and God sends them a judge, a new leader. The judge leads them to prosperity. They worship God, the judge dies, they go back to the idols. They worship God, the judge dies, they go back to the idols. 
over and over and over again, this is the series of events that happens in the lives of the Israelites because it is the series of events that happens in all human nature. This continues to be pushed through all of the Old Testament. If you don't believe me and you don't believe that God takes it seriously, I encourage you to read a couple chapters in the book of Ezekiel because that stuff is nuts. Ezekiel's nuts. But this continues to play out into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the life of Jesus. And it's seen no more clearly, and it doesn't touch home any more clearly than in this book, this chapter from the book of Mark. And it says this, chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was staring out, starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to, up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy had it right. This guy had it right. He was, a, he was a wealthy young man. He wanted to know what it was to inherit eternal life. He heard that there was this man, Jesus, who was teaching and doing miraculous things. Understand, at this point, there was people who already disliked Jesus, who were already plotting to kill Jesus. And if they had their way, maybe even getting rid of his followers. Yet this man runs before Jesus. He gets down on his hands and his knees, and he says, Teacher, good teacher, tell me how to inherit eternal life. He's a Jewish man, yet he recognizes that this teacher with a new teaching that comes with power has something about him that this young man desires and so he runs to Jesus and he falls on his knees before him something that each one of us in this room if we call ourselves Christians would love to be able to do he did it right he then says Jesus says why do you call me good Jesus asked only God is truly good but to answer your question which pause is a really nice thing of Jesus to do because he never answered anybody's questions you know the commandments you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Notice that one of the commandments is to not make an idol and worship it. Yet Jesus doesn't bring this up in the list of things that he wants this man to brush up with. He doesn't bring it up. He doesn't say, hey, have you made any idols recently? He doesn't bring that up with this young man. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. This man was a righteous person, right? He was like, he was like the good church kid. Man, he went to Sunday school. He sang in the cantata. He did the plays. He participated in puppet ministry as a teenager. He knew all the felt board stuff. He knew all the Jesus things, man. He had done all the right stuff. If he says, I've lived by this since I was young, guess what? This young man had vast num amount of scripture memorized in his head. He could probably recount every word from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Do you have any clue how hard it is to remember all of Lamentations? Oh my goodness, I've only read it once in my life, and I was like, not only do I not want to memorize this, I don't want to read it again. Holy cow, it's like, this guy had, he had so much knowledge, and he had lived righteously his entire life amongst the people that were notorious for flying off the path and going in a different direction. So not only has he been righteous, but he also goes to Jesus and falls on his knees before him. Man, what a life this young guy must have had. I wish this had been my life, except for the end. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Wow, to have Jesus feel genuine love for you. Not that he doesn't feel it for everybody, but it says Jesus felt genuine love for him. I've obeyed, oh, going back. There is still one thing you haven't done, Jesus told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Wow. 
Jesus doesn't bring up the subject of idolatry, but he really hits it home, and he hits it clear into our culture. You have so much, and what you have has your heart. What you have has the seat of your affection. So if you want to truly follow me, you need to go and give it up, because my father is a jealous God who does not share the seat of your heart or the seat of your affection with anyone or anything else. So go and sell all that you have. This young man falls from the pages of Scripture. We don't get his name. He doesn't come back up. There isn't a passage later on where, well, after Jeremy sold everything that he had and came back to follow Jesus, he was a follower. No, he doesn't come back. He goes away sad because of the grip that the idol has upon his life. I would, I would just adventure to say that you cannot simultaneously follow Jesus and have an idol in your life. It is impossible. You simply cannot do it. There's no passage in Scripture where it says, well, Greg, there's no Greg in the Bible, Greg really wanted to follow me. However, Greg cared more about his bank statement than he did about his love for me. Therefore, Greg followed me and we figured it out as we went. That isn't in the Bible. You're not going to find a passage where it talks about, well, this individual really loved their family, and they loved their family way more than me, but Jesus thought, ah, it'll be okay, so I let them come along with me, and they followed me, became one of my disciples, and we figured it out as we went. No, Jesus is very clear. It's get rid of your idols. Leave them behind, and then come and follow me. Are you kidding me? This guy, this rich young ruler, gets the same words spoken to him that Matthew, Mark, that the, that the disciples get spoken to them? The disciples, the 12, the people that followed Jesus most closely, the disciple in which Jesus loved, the one who denied him three times and became the rock of the church, these individuals, Jesus asked, come and follow me. He shares these same words with this rich young man, but we never even know his name. Because when we're willing to follow Jesus and abandon idols, we go places you could never possibly imagine. We impact lives in a way that you never thought you'd be able to. Because Jesus changes and transforms our lives. I know that we have idols in this room today. I know that when we leave, we will be tempted to be a people of closed hands. Because a people of closed hands are like the Israelites in the desert. When Moses went to Mount Sinai and furious that they could not see the face of God, clutched to the golden calf. Because we are naturally a people who want to be able to control, to grip, and to grasp the things of this world that make us feel good and make us feel fulfilled. We desperately want to be able to hold on to, to smell, to touch, to taste, and to see the things that we worship. The things that give us fulfillment. We do not desire to be a people of faith in our natural state. We desire to be a people who can create things with our hands and grip hold of them with our lives. Because it's easier. Because we are not a people of faith. And our world has creatively packaged all sorts of things that we can unwrap right in our living rooms and grip hold of with both hands. Because we are a people of closed hands. But I encourage you today because we serve a God of open hands. 
We serve a God who is freely given. If you're in here today and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you've never said, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to not just be my Savior, but I also want you to be my Lord as well. If you haven't done that, I have encouraging news for you. Despite the fact that you're a person with closed hands, there is a God who exists who has open hands, who freely gives, who freely loves, who forgives you. And who has given his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. No greater example of a God with open hands than Christ crucified. Jesus has given everything on your behalf. Because despite being a people of closed hands, we have a God of open hands. Who is looking to us and saying, do you want to have a life that you never imagined? Not the easy life, but the best Not the life of luxury and comfort, but the best. Do you desire to see me do things you never imagined? Do you desire to see the kingdom come to life in a way that you never thought was possible? Then get rid of your idols and then come and follow me. So what are the things in your life that Jesus is pointing to today? That he's saying, get rid of your idols. Come and follow me. Go. Get rid of it. Come back and follow me. What are the things in your life and what are the things in my life that we are clinging to with closed hands? Too prideful to admit to. Too embarrassed to give up. Too addicted to to walk away from. What are the things in our lives that have changed us, that have shaped us? What hobby was a hobby and now is a God in our life? What person was a crush? and it now is a God in our life? What sense of security was at one time a good thing, and it now has become a God in our life? What sense of being productive and, and growing and, and becoming more and, and advancing and, and gaining power and prestige and title that at one time we pursued because we thought it was the thing to do, but now has become a God in our life. We just can't wait to get the next promotion. And we will bend everything upon that. What part of our family have we decided to love more than we've loved our God? What part of our heart have we decided to follow instead of following the will of Jesus Christ in our lives? So my question for you and my question for me today is what are the idols in your life? And are you willing to get rid of them and come follow Jesus? Because you cannot do both things. No matter how much you may want to, you can't do both things. Because we are a people of closed hands, but God, a God of open hands, calls us to be a people of open hands. A people that will freely give. A people who will love, fear, cherish, and chase after God alone and nothing else. In fact, that's our commitment for this week. Our commitment is one of those things that if you want to, we desire for you to commit to living out this week. And our commitment is this. I will have open hands this week. I will live with open hands this week. In order to do that, it's going to take something very difficult that actually most people in general avoid doing for their entire lives. And that is this. It's going to take taking time to take an inward walk. You're going to have to take inventory of your life. You're going to have to look at the things and decide what things have misplaced value what things you need to change and get rid of, and how your life has to be changed. 
People don't like taking the inward walk because the inward walk forces us to change. It creates conviction in us that we simply cannot escape from. So I encourage you this week to begin asking questions like this. What makes me angry? What makes me angry? What makes me jealous? What do I get most excited for? What keeps me up at night? What do I daydream about? When I look at myself 10 years in the future, where do I see myself? Do I see myself furthering my walk with Jesus Christ or do I see myself furthering my career? Where do I see myself when I look into the future? What do I dream? Not like at night, that'd be weird. What do I dream about? What are my, what are my aspirations? And begin to look at those things and say, when I answer these questions, what does it point out in my life? What is most important to me? What do I worship the most passionately with my time and my resources? And then when God points those things out to you because we all have them, guys, there's, there's never really a state in which we can be probably 100% idolatry free. We will continually be in the battle of closing our hands and then reopening them and trying to keep them open. Because we are a people naturally of closed hands. But I encourage you to take that inward walk this week. Ask some of those questions. And in reflection and during that time, I would encourage you to take those things that God has pointed out to you and to leave them. And to come and follow him. Pray with me. Father God, I love you and I thank you. And I pray right now for myself, for everybody else in this room. For there are many idols in this world in which I worship. Although I do not carve anything out of wood, although I, although I do not make anything out of gold, although I do not bow down before anything inside my home, although I would claim that I worship you alone, Lord, I would just ask and I would pray that you would point out the idols in our lives and that you would give us the courage and ability to walk away from them so that we can follow you. In your name, amen.